So, today's message is called, God's currency is love, not shame. After our movie the other night, um, I was kind of reminded that we talk a lot about and live out of a place of shame in our society. And if we're not feeling the shame, we're shaming someone else to make ourselves feel better. It happens more than we want to admit. And again, it, the way the story is that it's supposed to go today, I'm hoping to, to show you how Jesus pursued someone who felt shamed and disappointed. And it's, it's one of my favorite uh, uh, there's, uh, you heard one last week or two weeks ago with Thomas, but uh, Jesus, after his resurrection, does something profound, and I want to share that story with you today. The character of God is revealed in Jesus. All right, things that made me pause and ponder this week. I had some good ones, and there's clearly a theme. When I put these all together, I went, oh, they, there is a theme, like a strong theme. So uh, who knows? It's, they just made me stop and made me ponder, and I want to share them with you. Hopefully, it'll make you stop and ponder. After watching The Shack on Friday night, again, great movie. Um, I'd forgotten a lot of scenes. I, got, I had tears rolling down my face. Good thing it was dark. I kind of, kind of moved them out of the way. But it was still profound. There's a lot of stuff I'd forgotten and stuff I was reminded of. Uh, some stuff triggered, and it was good. It was good to just be and feel. But the one part that I noticed when Max started to cry, she grabbed Sarah, you who represented the Holy Spirit, took a bottle and, and grabbed that tear and put it in the bottle. Referring to what the Psalms say, he collects our tears in the bottle. Our tears are remembered. Tears are important. Don't ever discount the wonder of your tears. They can be healing waters and a stream of joy. Sometimes they are the best words the heart can speak. And I share this line at funerals all often. Because for some reason, we have this thing in our society that implies it's not okay to cry. Even worse, at a funeral. What better place? You know, either the person wasn't loved if you're not crying very well, right? So tears are good. Be real and be transparent. I always encourage families um, that are sharing their eulogies and stuff. Oh, I'm going to cry. I can't do it. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to cry through it. That's, that's called Normal. You know, here's some, and I give some tips how to get through it with dignity, but still let the tears flow. Don't suppress. I thought that was, I thought this was a really good line. The moon is always full. It's just our view that is partial. And uh, I thought, ah, this sounds very much like of our concept of God. We have a partial view of who our heavenly father is. And this just made me stop and went, I like that. The church is not called to be an enforcer of rules, but an outpost of grace. I think Jen posted this on the Hope Fellowship uh, page. I think he did, yeah. Um, you could overthink it right away and think, you know, outpost is more of a static place. No, 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 no. Usually church in our Western world has become an institution and one that controls and legalizes and has systems and rules in place, but is rarely a place of grace and safety. And my prayer for Hope Fellowship is that we continue and keep becoming safer and safer as a church and love anyone and everyone that comes in. That's it. 
Lord, protect us today from those whom nothing is mystery. Ponder that for just a moment. Protect us today from those whom nothing is mystery. Again, I was my religious upbringing, and I, uh, maybe I bumped into some people this week that drove me nuts, and I was triggered by some really religious people that I used to be part of, close to of their camp, and they had this very narrow, absolute dogma that I forgot about. And I thought, oh my goodness, they're certain, completely certain about every text and scripture and verse they were spewing to me. And I thought, there's no mystery in this. There's, there, there's none. And so when I saw that, I went, huh? Yes, protect us from those Individuals who like to shoot arrows and darts and sometimes bullets from their certainty when if you've unlearned anything, certainty is one of the things we must unlearn. Not of who Jesus is, but how wide and how big the love of God is. We can't be certain about that because it's limitless. Even when you have a line that he says God can't cross that one, he blows through that line too because it's bigger than what we can conceive. Anyway, I thought, I thought that was pretty cheeky. Jesus commanded us to love our neighbor and our neighbor can be anybody. Everybody matters. If the gospel isn't good news for everybody, then it isn't good news for anybody. Rob Bell. I thought, that's a great quote, great reminder. Everyone. Yeah. I thought it was good. Here's one way I can know that I've forgotten the gospel of grace when your sin bothers me more than my own. Have you forgotten the gospel of grace? It usually shows up when you're judging others. You go, ah, yeah, ouch. I love this. The love of God is dangerous and it's a slippery slope. You may just slide right into the arms of your loving father. <laughs> How many times have I been told, oh, you're going down a slippery slope? That's a slippery slope in your theology. But I think it leads right to that. Every time. Do you trust God as the God of outcomes? Do you trust God to get our attention? Do you have friends that seem to have a theology that's way off from what you think is right? Who's got them? The love of God. So chill. Be human. Love them. Hmm, that's different. In our Western culture, it is. The spiritual life is not a life before, after, or beyond our everyday existence. No. The spiritual life can only be real when it is lived in the midst of the pains and joys of the here and now. Henry Nouwen. I thought that was really, really good. Two more. Those who are most fruitful in prayer are those who pray to tune their hearts to the Father's rhythm. And those most frustrated in prayer are those who use it to try to get God to tune to theirs. <laughs> That's pretty good. We have much to learn about prayer. And last time I was with you, I ended with this story. But this is from St. Augustine. A long time ago. Jesus had foretold his resurrection, but his death had erased the words from the memories of the disciples on the road to Amos. 
They were so shattered when they saw him crucified that they forgot about his teaching. They did not expect him to rise again. They had forgotten what he had promised. He was indeed alive, but he found, here it is, the hearts of his disciples dead. As a result, when they saw him on the road, they did not recognize him. My prayer is God will awaken, resurrect truth in me that's always been there so I can see it, so I'm not blind like they were. I've been blind in many other topics and in the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. And I always pray this to say, please be gentle, please. (laughs) It's one of my my most important prayers. I'm brittle. I really am. And the Holy Spirit gently begins to reveal things for the things I need to know, not things I want to know. There's a lot I want to know because sometimes I want to be right. Well, that's usually a sign it's not time to know because <laughs> life is not about being right. It's about being loving, which is who Jesus is. Small devotional from Henry Nouwen. This one's really, really, really good. God is gentle. Again, correcting our concepts of who we think God is. Partial view. Let's keep adding and keep growing in this. While while realizing that 10 years ago I didn't have the faintest idea that I would end up where I am now, I still like to keep up the illusion that I am in control of my own life. And if you still have that, I like to decide what I most need, what I will do next, what I want to accomplish, and how others will think of me. While being so busy running my own life, I become oblivious to the gentle movements of the Spirit of God within me, pointing me in directions quite different from my own. It requires a lot of inner solitude and silence to become aware of these divine movements. Let me read that again. It requires a lot of inner solitude and silence to become aware of these divine movements. God does not shout, scream, or push. The Spirit of God is soft and gentle like a small voice or a light breeze. It is the spirit of love. (laughs) Our concept of who we think God is and who we think the Holy Spirit is and what the roles of each of the Trinity members are, we have funny ideas. Many came from the system of religion we grew up with. Some are biblical, but many add-ons are not. Biblical is even the wrong word to use because you can make the Bible say whatever you want sometimes. But it's not looking like Jesus at all. And the more we look at Jesus, the more we see the truth of the character of God and how the Holy Spirit functions. And the the Spirit is gentle. I've had people kind of, when something really bad happens, oh, God's judging. Or something bad happens to somebody and In my past, I would have heard people say, or, oh, heaven forbid if I ever said it, oh, what'd you do wrong? 
You know, maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to teach you something. Uh-oh, you didn't tithe that week. Uh-oh, you know, like all these conditions that we think we've contributed. We're, we're actually talking about karma. You know that. For all those that are anti that language, <laughs> you, just, you just found new words for the same idea. God doesn't deal with us like that. Those are the, the um, uh, Greek gods and mythologism and all that stuff. It, it's not the true trinity. The character of God is core here. We must learn who God truly is so that we're not living in fear. You'd be surprised where the little elements of fear are. Like what Laurie said about that uh, I'm afraid to walk on the water. Well, you're thinking of a future that I, and I'm not there. I don't exist in that future. Boy, that's a strong, I caught that line too. Because sometimes we have worries about tomorrow. We have worries about people in our lives, their outcomes. And so we start to go down the road. I'm going to fall. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Solitude, peace, calm, now. That's not easy, especially in my personality. That's not easy. But it is a good lesson. All right. God's currency is love, not shame. We were, last time we were talking about the uh, uh, road to Amos. That was really cool. But there's something else that happens. See, somebody really screwed up, Peter. He felt horrible for denying Jesus three times. That's the moment we pick on and say, look at Peter doing this and Peter's doing that. And he gets himself into a lot of trouble, doesn't he? We, he brings a sword to the garden, lops off the ear of a poor guy, and I bet you he wasn't aiming for the ear. Like, this is, this is, this is a lot of character stuff coming out. Uh, pause for just a moment, a small rabbit trail on Peter. How come we see Peter do all these screw-ups, which really represents us, Peter's really representing all of our ideas and false concepts of who God is. He was, he was one of the zealots waiting for Rome to be conquered, thinking Jesus would be the great conqueror of that. But Jesus keeps gently correcting, gently correcting. He even says at one point, uh, I called him Satan or Satan get behind me or something like that. And it's like, what? Like, how can you say that, Jesus? We're supposed to be friends. Like, all that stuff's going on. All that, and then the screw up with the denial. So, how long after the denial do we see Peter now become a leader? Not too long, correct? Okay. Peter didn't suddenly become a leader that was instantly mature, instantly wise, did not always make right choices, got into fights with Paul, his theology was not correct all the time, and yet we have a written text, a written story of some of the things he said and did. <laughs> I think you gotta look at the story a little bit better and realize, wait a minute, we must read this in context. This week um, uh, on, on Still Growing Grace that's gonna be aired on Wednesday morning, um, Bill Thrasher and Richard Murray and I are talking about Ananias and Sapphira. What's with that story? You know, these, these two come to Peter and, and say, you know, here's money we're donating, but apparently it wasn't the amount, the full amount. So they, apparently there was a deception. Apparently 
they died, but people thought it was God killing them, but the scripture does not say that. Okay, it does not say that, so careful. And then the other spouse comes, and sure enough, Peter says some words, and yes, you're just like so-and-so, you're going to go. Like, there's a picture of bad leadership. And here's how I know. Put Jesus in those shoes at the moment. Is that what Jesus would say to those two? Absolutely not. Jesus is not into killing. He's into resurrection. All the time. All the time. So careful with projecting concepts, false concepts, incomplete ideas. But we have Peter. And the story I'm going to share with you now shows you the character of Jesus going after somebody who really screwed up and feels terrible about themselves. But Peter does not show the same mercy a couple chapters later in Acts. We're going to come to that later. We're going to dive into Acts after this and just kind of follow the story through. Just because we have those, the book of Acts doesn't mean all the choices were smart, right, or whatever. It's a record of what was written, written from that perspective. There's much to learn from it. John 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. This is where somebody says amen. amen. See, I knew that was coming. We'll come, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, you caught any fish? Now, this happens all the time. If you're going fishing, you're out in a boat, or you, you see some people along the shore fishing, y'all, what's the thing you ask? Caught any fish? Well, some people actually ask, are you fishing? <laughs> no, I'm, uh, anyway, I'll leave that. Sorry, rabbit trail. <laughs> Drowning worms. <laughs> That's funny. He calls out, have you caught any fish? We ask, have you caught anything? I do it all the time because you want to know, am I in a good spot? Because if you caught nothing, I'm moving on. So, uh, no, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. Pause there. That, that's too quick. So they did. Again, this is a written story, right? They don't have, like sometimes in movies, you go, well, they, what, what, what about in between? They got to tighten the movie. Come on. You can't get all the details in there. And just like there, like, I wonder what the discussion was like. Who is that? What? Other side? This is the same water. Look, it's like 10 feet. How? That's the stupidest thing I've heard. Yeah. But I don't think they knew their voices crossed the water well. I don't know. It's very likely. But anyway, so they did. Somehow they came to an agreement, all these guys in the boat. Maybe they said, ah, what have we got to lose? Um, who's this guy think he is? He's on the shore. Because, you know, the shore people, without a, a rod, they think they know more than the fishermen. With, anyway, it happens. 
So they, so they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. This was a shock moment. I don't know what kind of fish they were, not a clue. Then the, disciples, then, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Well, why didn't Peter catch on? Why didn't Peter, uh, Peter say, it's the Lord? Why was it John? John had a different lens in the unique relationship with Jesus. Peter was up and down. Happy, sad, happy, sad, angry, happy, like all over. He was, he was you name it. His circumstances tended to dictate his attitude. And he was in a low place, so he went and said, let's go fishing. John seemed to have more hope and I think a better memory. And he was the first to recognize because his mind, I think, was tuned for hope. Where Peter was tuned for despair and it took somebody with hope to speak to the despair, to bring them back up and go, oh my goodness. And then Peter says, whoa. When he heard it was the Lord, he put on, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. It was just a millisecond flip. Peter didn't recognize. It took somebody else to speak wisdom. You may need to speak wisdom to somebody in despair. The right wisdom. Don't go running around telling everybody wisdom now. That's dumb. That'll backfire. But as we read in that devotional, when we're in our solitude, and in that silence with the Holy Spirit, then we can hear the promptings of the Spirit well. How many times have you heard people say to you, God told me so? If you hear that, run. It's usually not true. It's usually their concept of who they think God is telling them something, and most often it's kind of weird. Or, see how much wisdom I know? You need to look to me now kind of wisdom. It's, it's very ego-driven, unfortunately. It, it just is. But here we have Simon responding. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net into shore, for there was only about a, they were only about 100 yards from shore. Now, I kind of was thinking, too, what were the other guys thinking? Peter, we need you right now. This is like, like really, this, this is the time not to go away. We need all the help we can get. These nets can tear. Like, come on, Peter, you selfish Peter. <laughs> but see, Peter wasn't selfish. He actually, something was going on in him. Call it, oh my goodness, uh, I'm so sorry. He, he, maybe he wanted to apologize. Maybe he just, he knew he was drawn to Jesus for whatever was going on. We don't know because it doesn't tell us. But in our humanity, we can make some pretty good guesses. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. okay. Where'd the fish come from? <laughs> That's interesting. And bread. Wait a minute. Where'd the bread come from? I wonder if there's some freaky tiki miracle going on there. 
I mean, it must have been really good fish. If, if Jesus, whatever he did, I don't know. Did he have a bread maker there? We don't know. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. The nets back then were not as thick as you'd think. They're not designed to catch a ton of fish. They were designed to catch some, so they could wheel them in, undo them out of the net, put them back over, and so on. They're not meant for a huge catch. That's why they were mending their nets all the time. Jesus said, get some more fish. So there wasn't a ton. Could Jesus have made enough fish for everybody? Yes, but he didn't. He invited their participation. Peter, go get some more fish. Just like Lazarus. Could Jesus have made that stone move? He could have gone with the stone. He didn't. He said, move the stone. And here, bring some more fish. There's more participation going on in all these stories than you realize. Pick up your mat and walk. You start to look back through the stories and you go, wait a minute. Jesus did invite participation. Now come and have some breakfast. You had me at food. All right. Jesus said, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. That's odd. Why is that odd? Is it possible that Jesus' look was slightly different in his new body or Raised body or what? I don't know. But the road to Amos, they couldn't recognize him. Could have been physical too, but also their eyes were not opened. I, there's, there's so much going on here. They never dared to ask, who are you? Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. That's what it says in the bottom. Oops. After breakfast, and here comes the best part. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. So I went and looked this up again, just to be double, double, double for sure. You know, I had to double check. In the Greek language, the word agape is used. Jesus says, do you agape me? Remember agape means other-centered love is the essence of who God is. Philae was more of a friendship love. Storge is the parental love. Eros is the word erotic. And there's another two or three other words for love in the Greek. In English, we have one word, love. I love burgers. I love my wife. But they're the same word. I, I don't know. Anyway, but I want you to catch this. Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo you. Interesting. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you or phileo you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And here comes the third time. 
Remember, he denied Jesus three times. This is the restoration of Peter, and Peter's still taking it the wrong way. Ah, what's with this Peter guy? Come on. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You see, Jesus did not shame him then either. He could have called him out and say, did you not know which word love I used here? I said agape. Don't, don't, how can you not agape me? Peter, seriously. Which would then do what to his soul? Dampen, crush. Oh wait, we do that sometimes to people. When we're frustrated with them, they're not answering the way we want them to. Uh, I hate growing up. It's hard. We don't have to grow up all the time. We have to get older. We don't have a choice. But growing up is hard. Maturing is hard. But having this modeled is an eye-opener. He restores Peter. Peter doesn't get it all at once, but later he does. It becomes a voice of the gospel in a profound way. And Peter still has to learn lessons all the way through the New Testament, all the way through the book of Acts. He isn't Jesus and suddenly knows everything, gets the right answer and has a witty comeback all the time. No, he is learning and unlearning his false concepts, getting the way of how he responds to people. There's a lot of screw-ups. Peter is us. We haven't got it all figured out. But the story continues. There's something else that's really cool coming up. And I'll, I'll, I usually don't go into this uh, right after Easter, but today I am because, I, oh, quickly now. So, okay. I tell you the truth. You were young. Uh, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Why is that there? I don't want to know about that. Right? <laughs> it's like, oh, no. That's a reality. Maybe it's a lesson to don't take for granted your freedom you have right now. For the mobility you do have. Some don't have the greatest mobility, but up here, they're wit as a whistle. They're, they're sharp. Elizabeth sure is. Holy smokes. You're an encouragement to me. And I mean that in a really good way. You always have, ever since I met you. Jesus said this to let them know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Sure, bring all this up. Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. This is one of the least preached verses in the New Testament. Do you realize we say this line all the time and don't even know it? Well, what about so-and-so? What about that 
person? What about their life? How come they got a better? What about them getting away with this? Or see they, what about them? And we, we look at everyone else comparing and judging. That was an absolute judgment statement. He was comparing. It's like the question, who can sit on your right and left? What? You guys have no clue what you're talking about. And Jesus, what about him, Lord? Do you understand the question now? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, here's the best line. What is that to you? That's your answer. What's it to you? Say that to the next person sometime. What's it to you? (laughs) Jesus said it. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm just repeating Jesus. (laughs) What's it to you? Stop comparing with others. Stop thinking everyone else's future. Stop fantasizing somebody else's future and decisions. It's none of your business. <clears throat> As we read the very beginning with Henry Nouwen's devotional, solitude and quiet in the moment is how we live and from where we live. As soon as you future trip, jump ahead, you're at a place where Jesus isn't. In your mind, all the unnecessary worries and stress. Just think for a minute Imagine the peace you could experience if you actually did that. Seriously, ponder right now, just for a minute. What would it feel like if you really could just live now and not worry about the next couple hours, the next couple days, the next couple weeks, the months? What would it be like if you just now, solitude? Jesus, I'm just listening for you. I'm making dinner now, I'm doing this, blah, 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 all your stuff, but right now, just for now. What would that do to your soul? The peace that could be experienced. What's it to you? Get your eyes off of everyone else. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. (laughs) That's what that song's about. Get your eyes off of all the worries and the troubles and difficulties, stresses. We're so used to it, though. Because we're wired for stresses. Our news is about bad news. Look, here's the bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. This shooting here, that earthquake there, blah, blah, this war, blah, 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 blah. The economy, blah, blah, blah. Fear, 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 fear. Stop it. If it's affecting you, stop. Fast the news. Because it ain't Jesus. Ouch. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that's not what Jesus said. (laughs) But that isn't what Jesus said at all. There we go. (laughs) He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? I still love that. What's that to you? (laughs) Not your business. We're so obsessed with everybody else's business. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? You see... Church gossip has moved to social media. <laughs> and those threads, ooh, this is happening, that neighbor, ooh, did you see that? Oh, there's a weird person walking in front. Yeah, I saw him too. Oh, my goodness. If you need a good laugh, it's okay, but man, oh, man. This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. 
and we know that this account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. What a lesson. Oh, but we have our scriptures, and we're, they're like the Word of God, capital W. You know by now, it is not the Word of God, capital W. Your Bible is not the Word of God, as in capital W. The real Word of God is Jesus, the person. What you have is a holy text, a sacred writing given to us, compiled by people, I believe inspired by God, for our benefit. There's so much brutal honesty in it and mistakes in it that we need to be able to see that. And I think some of those mistakes are there for our benefit, to not become pious and pomp, not marry permanently certainty, but to embrace a mystery of the love of God that is bigger than any pages can turn or contain. If more happened that was not written, some people have this idea that the Bible has every answer to every problem. It does not. Jesus is the answer inside of us who can give us direction. Jesus did not call us to mimic him. That's where the what would Jesus do is a problem. Because now it's our job to wonder, what would Jesus do in this roundabout? Did he even have a license? Would he be nice or would he be tempted? This is the real temptation now. Yeah, that's, they missed that temptation. No, there's so much more that Jesus did that was not written addressing so many things that we don't even know. And it's a good thing. Otherwise, it'd be an even worse manual of rules. I believe the Holy Spirit is still speaking clearly today. I think writers are inspired today still, writing books and poems and songs and through art. It's still happening. It's not finished. So to assume a book I love and has inspired me, I find so much hope in, has everything in it that we possibly need, well, it's kind of missing the science chapter, biology chapter, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> There's enough there for you and I to get to know who God is and the character of God and to live from Christ in us. That's the point of the scriptures, to point us to Jesus. If it's pointing us to an institution, you're looking at it wrong. If you're seeing Jesus and it's impacting you, yeah, I'm in. And we teach each other. There isn't one single teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. Let's close with this. A prayer from Henry Nouwen. Dear God, I am so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please, Help me gradually open my hands and to discover that I am not what I own, but what you want to give me. And what you want to give me is love, unconditional, everlasting love. 
Amen. God's currency is love, not shame. He pursued Peter to restore him. He knew he felt bad. I bet you if he went to pursue Judas, maybe could happen. I don't know. It's a, but yet there's prophecy involved. I don't understand all that. He pursued Thomas, who doubted. Doubts are not sin. Doubts are okay. It means he's got questions. Questioning is okay. <laughs> That means if he's going to do that for those characters who are really obvious, he does it for us all the time. And his arms are open wide. Live from a place of being loved. Live loved. That's the subtitle of my blog every week. I tell you, Jesus modeled what true love is and what his father was like. I hope that was encouraging for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, May your love compel us, draw us or drag us to a better picture and a better revelation of who you are. Be gentle with us. Some of us are really, really brittle. 